today on Codepin Radio. Hey, everybody. Time for another Codepin Radio 339 over here. Um, we're going to talk about Apollo and GraphQL, which are like technologies that we use. Uh, and I have Rachel to talk with me about it. What's up, Rach? Hey, everyone. Mm. We uh, Sometimes this podcast is like, we're talking about it because we just did like a round of work about it, you know? And in this case, <laughs> that round of work isn't over or anything, but it was like, I don't know, you just did a bunch of Apollo stuff, Rach. So I was like, why not grab her to talk about that? Even though I think your first instinct was like, ugh, <laughs> boring. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Well, it's it's a bit of an it's a bit of a niche subject. I'm sure some people would like be very interested in hearing about, you know, Apollo. Yeah, it's other other people. But if you've never used Apollo before, it might be interesting too. Yeah, to, and we love it, right? It's about. like good tech for us. It's just yeah, yeah. It's not like boring. Yes. Like we all hate it, so we don't want to talk about it. It's like mm. not that. It's just uh, yeah. We're gonna. It's just APIs and like. <laughs> Yeah, stuff like that. So anyway, Apollo, like we I, we could start with the GraphQL part because people have heard that spiel before. So we could just get it out of the way. It's like an alternative to rest. And maybe you've seen the syntax. That's what flashes in my mind whenever I think of GraphQL is that what queries look like, where it's like it kind of looks a little bit like a JavaScript object without commas. And it's mm. this little menu of data that you're requesting. But the other thing that comes to mind is is empowerment for me, which might feel weird to say, but it's kind of that back in the rest days or in other, you know, kind of pre-GraphQL, I didn't feel as empowered to like, as a front-end developer to just be like, I need this, 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 and this. Okay, I didn't have to ask anybody. Our mm -hmm. GraphQL API just supports it and and off to the races. And that's really yep. born to be true for us, I guess. But you know what nobody does with GraphQL is just like raw fetch it. You know, weren't we just talking about that the other day? Like GraphQL, it, it's kind of like React. It always comes with a bunch of friends. Nobody just uses it all by itself. It doesn't make sense. You got to have like a whole, whole thing. And our whole thing is Apollo. So I guess I'll shut up for a minute and ask you, like, how do you think of GraphQL and Apollo? And yes. Well, when we uh, we introduced the GraphQL API, um, you you know, as you said, you don't usually just go and fetch from your API endpoint. I mean, you could, but I don't think many people do because you want some uh, tooling around that to help help with all of those things. Um, and we decided to use Apollo client uh, on the client side while hitting to to hit our um, GraphQL API because at the time I think it was just like the industry leader probably still is I'm not too sure like what's the most popular these days probably still is Apollo client but I remember at the time it was just the standout in that space and mm -hmm. um, we decided to go with that and the the main beauty of Apollo client I think is the caching that comes with it so when you hit your API it will the data it returns, Apollo Client stores that in the cache so you don't have to request for that data again next time a component uh, needs to use that data. Um, and that's the the really that's the really impressive thing about it. Like we might have a query that says like, is this user a pro user or not? 
and it's like we, we might need that information on like 20 different components on a page. Mm-hmm. And if you had to fetch yep. that individually 20 times, that's just silly. But you write it as if you are fetching it for the first time. It just comes right. It just gets all magically squished together. and Yeah, it's great because you can write them all like if it's not there, it will. You can be sure that it will be fetched. But it, if, if it is there, it won't be fetched. So you don't have to think in the, this moment like, oh, do I have the data? Will it be available to me? Like as long as you've coded in your loading states, um, then, you know, you don't, you, you, you don't have to worry so much like an alternative and the and the other thing is great about it is like it gives you this ability to like incrementally slash lazy load in pieces of data when they were needed um rather than having to like front load everything to operate your page so before we had graphql and apollo client like back in the rest days or even when we were using redux we used to tend to, um, and the REST API, we used to sort of create these like payloads of data on the server and we would sort of render them in the HTML document so you knew they they could be accessed like via, some, via the global, mm-hmm. you know, JavaScript space and we would sort of namespace these pieces of data and then so if you wanted to know in the pen editor still works this way like if you're if you're in the pen editor and you want to know what pen i you know you're editing right now from a data perspective you can find that in the javascript like global namespace you just got to find the right i think it's like cp.pen or whatever go for go for your life hacker website if you like but you shouldn't be able to but if <laughs> If you want to see the data that's driving the JavaScript, it's all sitting yeah, there it's like in the, fake in the state. window object. I mean, I guess it's, I mean, what is fake yeah, state? Yeah, it's just like a place to store state. Um, and, but we, it doesn't really, that sort of method doesn't really lend to easily just grabbing little bits of data when you need them. So you kind of have to like front load a lot of it. And then you can make the, then you can know it should be available to you in the window. Whereas this new GraphQL Apollo world, like you can just request whatever data and whatever query you want. And if it's not there already, the server will go get it. So it's very cool. That is pretty cool. It also has this, I mean, we're a website that's has pagination all over the place too. And I feel like that isn't that part of mm-hmm. the story that you go forward and then you're like, wait, go back. That it's like the back button yes. doesn't, it's already cached. Don't worry. It won't be slow. It'll be fast. Yes, that's a, yeah, that's another nice thing. And Apollo Client has some nice um, little helpers for pagination too. So if you've set up your pagination on the API to follow the you know the standard format for um, for pagination uh, responses, then you can have you have these little like uh, helper functions. Um, in your use query hook, for example, you, it sends back a little function called fetch more. So if you're um, if you're paginating something and you want to, f- if uh, fetch more is typically used for things like infinite pagination, where you just want to like load infinite scrolling or whatever, where you just want to load more like more of those items to stick them on the bottom of the list. You can use fetch more, and it's just going to pull the next page for you. Um, so yeah, there's like little nice things built into uh, Apollo Client to help with pagination too. 
Yeah, pretty sweet. We, yeah, we, we kind of like need it. It feels weird to say, but like it's so fundamental to having this GraphQL API and how we construct our state and construct our components and everything. It's really just a vital piece of it. I, I can't really imagine if we didn't use it, we'd just find a competitor or something or build it ourselves really worsely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just that case of, of when you're such a small team, like you, we just don't have the resources to build these things ourselves. So we've got to like outsource where we can and we lean on open source software like this yeah. um, to help us, yeah, actually build the actual thing we're trying to build rather than all the tooling around it kind of thing. Yeah. There's also this aspect of it's like, okay, I'm going to, we have this, there's a URL and it's a GraphQL endpoint and it's going to, so that means that we build out the other side and we have a bunch of experience doing that too, building out the actual, you know, server that, that barfs out the GraphQL as this API needs it. So that's, that's typically mm -hmm. how I think of it. Like I need a pen and I need its title and I need its description and I need all this X, Y, Z. There's a million APIs that we need, but it also is like, that's just some, when it comes back, it just immediately turns into state. It's like, okay, you needed some data, but I'm just going to like keep it here in this state storage thing and then you and then the other side of graphql is the mutations like i can change it too and then tell graphql i'm mutating this data and it goes back through the same url and uh, and changes the data so that's very that's what i think of as an api i guess you know it's because a two-way street but there's also this when you're working in react land and like modern javascript there's state that just like doesn't you don't think of it in that way it doesn't need to go back to the server at all but it, you still call mm. it state you still think of it as state you still change the state and so some state in react is like well just use the use state hook then or whatever just like keep your little state build your little counter increment it or whatever and for us that manifests as like is this modal open or not or is the editor mm -hmm. configured to have the preview on the right or the left and like little stuff like that that the server doesn't really care about i mean maybe it does there's some gray area there but for the most part there's a, a big chunk of state that's not concerned with mutating data and whatever but it's like conceptually mm -hmm. it's nice to maybe just smash it all together and i think apollo realized that and they're like oh we'll handle your client state too that way you can think of it all together and the advantage of that is that sometimes use state, as you know, it just isn't enough, right? That's like for individual yeah. components. Sometimes you need state that mm -hmm. lots of components are aware of. And if you change it, they're notified of those changes. And I think that that model fits well into Apollo Client. Do I have that right? Yeah, totally. And one of the nice things about smashing it together, as you say, is that Apollo gives you the ability to extend your server side um, state. Uh, so you might have um, an object. Say you've got like some, you've got an online, your website selling books and you've got um, like the server hands back a bunch of books, but there's something about those book items that you want to modify on the client and you don't need to um don't need to modify it on the server 
um, you can sort of extend that book piece of state. So you have the server part of it and then you can add a little client bit to it. Um, and so like, for example, like if you had applied, if you wanted to apply a discount on that book, but you, you're just doing that in the client because the users entered a coupon code or something like that. Um, you could, you could just like add, attach a little piece of info onto that book and add whatever you want that's client state to it. And then, um, you know, that next time you update that book on the server side, it's still going to refresh everywhere, but you also have this server state and client state in the same object. So that's, that's one of the cool things you can do with Apollo client. It would like kind of suck if they didn't have that. (laughs) It'd be like more of a very distinct separation. You'd have to have some other big tool to deal with that problem like redux i guess or yeah like you'd need another state management and uh, system and i'm sure what they discovered when they're building out apollo client is that maybe you know people were in the early days you know trying to match up their server state with some client state and manage two systems and it just gets complicated transferring from one to the other so it's nice to have it all in the one location in the in the Apollo client cache or cache as you guys call it <laughs> cache I got it I'll get it right yeah cache <laughs> this episode of code pen radio is brought to you in part by jetpack you know jetpack represents a lot of very powerful features that you can add to your wordpress site And they've been on this march, rightfully so, I think, to be like, okay, if y'all don't want all these features, but there's a couple of them that are super compel you and your needs of your site, then you can buy them individually. And in fact, you can even install individual plugins sometimes that are isolated to just that. And that's exactly what's just happened with Jetpack Backup. Jetpack Backup is excellent. You can either back up your site every day or in real time, meaning somebody like leaves a comment, boom, it's backed up. Then you get this like activity log of stuff that's happening on your site. So you can be like, oh, Jane updated this post. That's the perfect spot to restore to because something went wrong after that. You can see that and just be like, restore the site to this point, one click. So that the backups are amazing, but even better is the the ability to restore from that backup just so easily. Like it's nice to have the backup, but it's cool like when you need it, that it's not a pain in the butt. So thanks for the support Jetpack. And for all you out there, one more time, you can install Jetpack Backup as an isolated plugin and only just pay for it if you want to. Apollo has this feel because, you know, you like end up on their docs a bunch and whatever. The URL you end up as ApolloGraphQL.com. And it has this very like, we are a technology company kind of website. They don't just like send you to the GitHub readme for the docs, you know, it's pretty fancy. And it has this feel of like, we are definitely a company. Right in the header, it says pricing. Mm. And it, you know, makes you feel like this is a thing that you buy it. I don't know. I can't can't even remember if we've ever given them money because Apollo client is open source and you can just use it. And a bunch of the stuff yes. they do. And then like a lot of companies, there's just like little little stuff that you pay for. Do we pay for anything? 
Sorry, Apollo. I don't know. I'm not- I don't think we do. Well, we're giving, we're giving this, we're throwing them some props right now in this podcast. But as for monetary value, I don't think we've actually paid them anything because we do use the open source Apollo client. We recently signed up for the Apollo Studio, which is uh, a paid service, but we're on the free account right now um, because we just want to uh, publish our schema with the schema registry. Um, and in the process of doing that, I got all the upsells and I could see, ah, uh, I see like this, this is where, the, this is how they make their money kind of thing. I, Cause it, you know, you sort of do go, Oh, that might be nice. Like when you're like, when they're telling you what's available from a tooling perspective, we don't, we don't need to go there yet. But when I was looking and I was like, Oh, that would be cool. You yeah. Know? It looks like there's so some enterprise stuff, for of it. course, yeah. single sign on and all yeah. that same stuff. Yeah. That's cool. Um, yeah, wow, that's that's wild. You just you do the team plan and it has all this extra stuff and it's still free. Man, that's crazy. Mm. Good job. Well, thanks, Apollo. Uh, yeah, Apollo Studio. I know you've been, you know, it was one of like Alex's last thing that he got done before his little leave going on. Is And I don't even get it yet. I know that there's schema involved and I know that a schema <laughs> is like, it's almost like a, I don't know, like the structure of a database, right? Like your GraphQL data has a structure too. And if you need to change it, you change the schema and then it's a, like a migration, but it's they don't really call it a migration. The schema can be seen as like a sort of like a canonical record of your API and what's available. Um, so the schema itself is just kind of like a document. In It's in GraphQL, like quick, it's funny saying GraphQL query language, but that's that's how you say it. It's like GraphQL QL. But anyway, that you, it's in um, the query language and it's just basically like a document that anything that interacts with the API can see this schema and they're like, okay, this is what we can expect. So the actual implementation behind that schema could be from any technology but the schema document follows like this standard format. Like every GraphQL API, their schema their schema document looks the same, regardless if that API has been built in mm. Rails or Go or Node. Like it doesn't matter. Um, so your schema doc is just like the expectations. Like it's like what should be able to come out. Whether it works, whether the API works or not, depends on the implementation. Like you could have a GraphQL schema that has like yeah, you can query for this thing, but then when you actually hit the hit that for that query and the the app there is <laughs> out, fail. Um, oh, okay. like yeah, but the, it's, so the schema documents not not aware of like whether things are doing what they should, but it's just it's it's defining what they should do. Um, yeah, that makes sense. So it can be seen that way, like a definition of your API and what what's what's what should be available. And it's useful. Do you have to have it? You kind of do, right? Yes, because the schema actually drive, like the schema is the key for all the tooling and tech around uh, GraphQL. So Apollo Client wouldn't work without it. Like any Apollo, um, any any GraphQL sort of tooling in VS Code, like any GraphQL extensions don't work without being able to see a schema. Like it's, it's just you you need that schema to like that's that's that is the document that everything runs off basically on either side 
I think we even still call it graphical, even though I don't think it's actually graphical what we run anymore. It's like a little sandbox that, um, you know, you type your own little queries in and it returns it and you're like, oh, mm. you just kind of check your work before you actually m morph it over to a GraphQL file. I think we use it all the time, you know, and then it has this little sidebar and you open it and you can like explore the API, surely that's powered by the schema. Yes, yeah. Any graphical tool, there's like a few different versions of, of graphical essentially and we've used a couple of different ones. Um, they all need a schema. So what happens when you fire up one of those tools is the first thing it will do is hit your API to get an introspection, which is basically just like the, the schema essentially. And then... Um, and then it's like, okay, cool. I know what's how this API works and what's available. And now you can write whatever you like, your queries, and I'll tell you whether they're valid or not. I'm thinking of why we did a round of work on it. And it's so here's like the a typical workflow for us is, you know, we're working on new stuff. We're always working on new stuff. Big surprise, you know. And then, you know, sometimes we run ahead with design and front end. Because there's just more of us. It tends to go a little faster, especially because we have a component library and stuff now. And then you, it kind of feels like you're like figuring out what the product is and then you build it and that's okay, right? That's just a one way to work and we like it or whatever. And then, but you, when you're building a front end for the very first time of a thing, sometimes you just totally, totally, totally fake it. Just put in lorem ipsum text or fake stuff and fake titles and fake avatars and just fake everything and you don't even pretend to get it from an api you just write it in the html or the jsx or whatever and then as you're you know as you're building out more of it you're like nah, we should at least like you know maybe the api isn't ready yet but we could make progress on like pretending like it's an api <laughs> we do that sometimes we like let's at least write the hook and the hook will return data that looks like it's from an api and then we can go a little further and you know there's like different steps along the way and i think we, the one of the last steps we took you know some you know depends on what we're talking about exactly is like well let's actually you know wire up apollo proper and like really get it work. We're still kind of faking it in some areas, but at least it's all the the front end is pretending like Apollo is fully functional. Yep. So like the approach we're taking at the moment with that is I call I don't know, I like to call it stuffing the cache with data because that's <laughs> what you're doing. So normally you would have um your Apollo set up and then you you write a use query and it goes First, it checks the cache if there's data in there, and if not, it'll hit up the server. And because we don't have a working API on the server side, what we're doing is just like front-loading, stuffing the cache with all the all the fake data. Um, so when it when you use that use query, it just spits out things that are already in the cache, and it's never actually had to hit the server. But at the same time, it's using the like the use query that you would use in the end. Um, and then the idea is that like you pull you pull out the code that's stuffing the cache of the data at the beginning of the process and then um, when you have your working API and then all those use queries and queries you wrote 
um, will actually go to the API for the information. The idea being that the API can now service that information, but you haven't had to like rewrite your code in the components that grabs the data because you've already written it. It was just pulling data from the cache and now it's pulling data from a live server. Yeah, fairly satisfying. It'll be a little step. Each, each step is kind of satisfying along the way. And it should work out pretty nicely for us. And it kind of makes sense that you don't do it right off the bat because you're, you know, you're proving out a design first or whatever. And then you don't want to run too far ahead of the API because theoretically, like data people are involved with the API and might have some opinions about what things are named and where they go. And yeah, as a front ender, it can be easy to go like, oh, this is what what I want from the API and just like design up a whole thing. And then you know, somebody working the back end bit might be like, uh, no, you like, you can't have that. So, you know, you can't get too carried away. But most of the time, you know, we can on the back end service whatever the client needs these days, especially because we've got a pretty, we've done a lot of work on our database and stuff. Like it used to be a world where, you know, we, the, from the client perspective, you'd be like, well, can I have this? Like, can I have pen sorted by title or something? And you'd just be like, no, because <laughs> <laughs> no. the, the database like literally could not do that. Um, but there's been so much work put into our um, database in general that uh, almost anything's possible now from a, from a data perspective. Which is good, and we've even proven out the GraphQL API stuff. We've we've talked on this show about the admin project we worked on, which is a lot of that was building a GraphQL API kind of from scratch, and now we're just mm. you know we're going to use it, <laughs> but a different one. I don't know. Don't worry, that's too little too in the weeds. Yeah. Um, there's we're, yeah. We're, we're, we love to build GraphQL APIs at CodeBen. We've Apparently. done it in Rails. Now we've now we've done it in Go. <laughs> So, like, we love to do it. And even Go isn't the final state all the time. There's just, like, a service I looked at today where we, like, put it back in Node. Like, oh, weird. Okay. Mm-hmm. We've got Node involved. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, there's also, so this cache thing is normally, I think, of, well, you want to change some data, you run a mutation, and that's how you tell GraphQL that you're changing stuff. But with Apollo involved, you can also just kind of dip your hands right into the cache and change stuff. And I see mm-hmm. that that's what we're doing a number of times. There's just like a straight API yes. for just cache manipulation. And I can't say I totally, totally get it. Like, why don't we use a mutation? Why do we reach into the cache directly? Well, um, that comes with like Apollo Client 3. Uh, they So Apollo Client 2 used to be able to write these basically like client-side mutations. So you would sort of like write a mutation, but it would only run on your client state. Um, but they changed the API and they got rid of that. And now you just direct, you have these sort of functions that let you modify the cache directly. And I think the the reasoning behind that, well, I don't know for sure, but I suspect it's because um, the cache itself is like, it's something that consumes the GraphQL API, but it doesn't operate like the API. Like it operates like a normalized cache. So originally you sort of were trying to work in this world where you're like writing mutations, like you're you're um you're mutating things in the API when in reality all you're doing is modifying mm. properties and objects. It was like too fake. It's like don't pretend. Yeah, like it was sort of like just trying to marry two worlds. And now they've just given up on pretending that's a thing. And now they're like just straight up like you are using you're modifying things in the cache. So use a 
use a method called cache.modify, you know, and so that's why. Um, mm. but, the, but the interesting thing is that use query can still pull from the cache, like client clients only data. So if you want to query that client only data, you're using use query. But if you want to modify that client state, you're using the the cache modification. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so we have to do it this way. That's functions. just required. Yeah, yeah. You can use like you can use write fragment and um, yeah, and write and write query, but and cache modify, but nothing ever. None of those ever really look like a mutation. Yeah, fair enough. It doesn't bother me terribly, but I did. I was kind of curious why. What's with the like dipping into the cache? It kind of feels like you're sneaking around and doing something weird, but you're not really. Yeah, well, it's sort of like it, it feels like that, but it's 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 better this way. I think it's like they've exposed more. Like, okay, you're dealing with the cache here, but then so it's uh you it's just less what it's there's less abstraction and less sort of things hidden. And you're more aware of what going what's going on, and it really does feel like you've been given keys to like internal places you you maybe shouldn't have, but but it gives you such a good level of control that it's it's much better this way. Once once you once you wrap your head around how the cache normalization works, definitely. Yeah, nice. I can't say I have totally, but I've written enough <laughs> that I feel comfortable using stuff generally. But I don't even know what normalization means, so. Cool. Yeah, I'm tra- like I'm working on a blog post at the moment about this because I feel like there's just the Apollo docs are just they have some really great blog posts that d- they should link to in their docs because when you're the docs, it's like cool, this is how you modify the cache, but there's no explanation of what you're even doing with those things, like how and how it works, kind of thing. So mm-hmm. I feel like there's a bit of a gap there, like. It, it, it's hard to tell what what how things work just just from the docs alone. So, so we you, we've talked about this. Of course, we only ever talk about things in the context of CodePen, and CodePen is just its own huge beast universe, and it just always will be, and that's the case. But the tools that we talk about don't necessarily that that. <laughs> And there's lots of other sites that are, are, are big apps too. And if that's your app, great. But like a lot of the tools we use, you just like uh, most websites, definitely most websites don't need to have anything mm-hmm. at all to do with Apollo, right? Like you're, you have a blog, there's rachsmith.com need Apollo or would you do it just for fun or would you? Would it... I would not engage Apollo with Apollo client for fun. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Yeah, fair enough. Oh no. <laughs> like, yeah, I I'm I'm grateful for it and we definitely need it here at CodePen, but we CodePen is like a web app and it is like a big beast in lots of stuff going on web app. Um so we sort of like in that 1.1% or even 0.1% of websites slash apps that is like all this tooling really is required um but i think for most apps you probably don't need uh a need to go hard on the apollo client stuff you might want to just install apollo client um 
for, you know, if you've got a GraphQL API and you just want to interact with it, for sure, like Apollo client. But as for all the local state, like putting all of your local state in Apollo client, I think in most cases you could probably get away with just using contact, rec context, or mm. um, if you're using React or whatever, you know, framework you're using because you can use other frameworks with Apollo client. Like they have a React API, but they also have just a JavaScript API. Um, So if if there's like a simpler state management system you can use, um, I would go with that. It's the same thing. It's the same old story with Redux. It's like um, you don't, you back in the day, old days, most apps, you don't need to be storing a whole bunch of state in a global store when they're being referenced by one component. Um, so it's you don't need to go overboard with this this stuff. Um, but just for an app like CodePen, we just really do need it because, for example, in an editor, you know, saving the pen, there's like so many different things that could potentially trigger that state change. Um, and so it makes sense to have that state sitting in a in a global object that anything can access. And then we've got collab too. So it's not even in within the same client. It's like clients across different windows of different machines, like they need access to state. So then you really do need a sort of like a global client state solution. And we found, you know, Apollo client to be great for that because we had it there, mainly because it was there already as part of interacting with the API. So it's like, cool, we can just use the one thing that's convenient. Can you imagine having to, I just train now and like, won't have it any other way. Kind of like with like, once you've had like good hot module reloading, you're like, I don't, I just mm. like, I just prefer working that way. And it annoys me if I don't have it, but you know, whatever, I don't have to get into all that, but like, could you going back to a place where you just kind of had to think about state yourself? So you had to be like, oh, I'm going to change this piece of state. And I'm just going to have to imagine all the other pace, places on the page that might also need to change. And I'll do it myself. That's kind of yeah. what jQuery yeah. was. Like, I'm just going to yeah. reach onto the page and just change some. I'm just going to do a selector and just change some stuff. And and then remember to change that global object that everything else is reading from. And then those things have to know to update, like, it's just, right. yeah, it's just crazy town. Like just thinking about having to, <laughs> to do that. Or you like take nuts. one step up the ladder and you're like, oh, I'll do pub sub then. And I'll publish that this thing needs to change and then everything else needs to subscribe to it. But by that time, you've like bought into this thing that's like you didn't even, I don't know, like the modern version of that is like, don't worry about it. Just keep all your keep all your state in here and we'll we'll percolate all the changes for you. Yep. And then you have the uh, the other nice things around it, like the Apollo client dev tools is you can open, pop that bad boy open and, and look at your cache at any point and see, oh, what's in here? What is actually in here? Like, and then that's just super handy for like when you're devving and you've, you've changed something and you're like, hmm, that hasn't changed. And you can like go and look what's in the cache right now. Like, is it my component hasn't updated? correctly or is it the cache literally has the wrong thing in there so just from a debugging perspective um having all that tooling is so beneficial right compared to the old days where it was like a black box yeah you pay for it with complexity log out something yeah there's a lot of pushback against 
too much tooling and too much complexity and too many build tools and in-browser tools and too much JavaScript and ah, I hate everything. And then the other side of that is like, we like need this. This is, believe it or not, this is actually easier. Yeah, that whole conversation is funny because it's definitely, um, I mean, you see how much JavaScript gets used on the internet. Like just when I'm trying to use the internet and like most websites are just garbage, you know, and it's because of the <laughs> JavaScript. So it's like, you, 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 I can see why, you know, you need that pushback. But also you, you can get kind of like as someone who works on a, on a big app, you can get a bit triggered by like the, the, all the people going, where, where, I can't use so much JavaScript because you can, you're just like, how dare you? I need this for my app, you know? And it's like, it's, it's hard to, you need to remember that like CodePen is, is not that what they're talking about kind of thing. Like we fall in the camp of, apps that need this tooling so when people are like your site probably doesn't need xyz thing in it it's you know can be like and be like yes it does but that's because it does and they're not those people are not speaking to me as a developer of codepen.io when they're saying you use too much javascript so kind of not yeah it's it's uh, yeah it's tricky it's like there's all these like archetypes of websites and it's like feels like every like opinion about the web needs to like have a hashtag of which website archetypes the opinion applies to. <laughs> it's not very few opinions apply to all websites. It's it's that it's like the argument, oh, your website should be able to function without JavaScript. And it's like, yes, like a lot of websites should be able to, especially if they're delivering important information. But it's like you literally cannot make a pen editor like without JavaScript. That's not <laughs> is not a thing. So it's like that argument can't be applied to our website. No. And we fortunately most we get a pass that people don't even have to stretch their imaginations very far to to know that that to be true because mm. you can write javascript on codepen too. So they're like, "Oh yeah." Yeah. Yeah. yeah you definitely need javascript to run javascript. Mhm. Mm <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Rachel, for talking to me about this. That wasn't boring at all. Come on, people. Get on it. That was an in-depth, <laughs> beautiful conversation about technology that everyone loves. We'll have you on again soon, Rach, to talk about something else. You know, we'll totally yes. switch it up on people. But I appreciate your time and I'll see you at work. <laughs> okay. See you in Slack in five minutes. Bye. <laughs> okay. Seven, six, zero, three, one, eight.